Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, Good morning again, everybody. Um, Before we get into our sermon, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Uh, Heavenly Father God, we praise you for who you are. We just gave a bunch of praise reports this morning, so we praise you for who you are and all the blessings that you give to us. God, we thank you for all that you do for us. This morning, Father, as we open up your word, I pray that you will teach us what we don't know about you. Help us to become more like you and more obedient, Lord. Give us strength and courage to stand up in the face of spiritual warfare. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So you guys can go ahead and open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4. So if you're new to Victory, what we've been doing, um, or what we typically do, is we will walk through a single book um, and try to get, try to go verse by verse in that book. Um, And uh, what we're trying to do is get the entire context of what's going on there. We want to find the author's original intent so that we can take that author's original intent and find the truth that's in that and then apply that to our modern context. Now we have to find that original intent in order to do that. Um, that's called exegetical study or exegetical preaching. We're trying to do, or we're doing a, the same thing now, but instead of a single book, it's a little bit different. We're going through a group of books called the post-exilic texts. Now we're keeping these all together because they are coming from the same context. This is when the Jews were allowed to return, for, uh, return from exile into Jerusalem to rebuild the city. Uh, so far in this series, we have studied Ezra, Esther, Haggai, and Zechariah. We've started Nehemiah. We've spent a few weeks in Nehemiah so far. Um, And after we finish that, we will have Malachi left. Now, throughout all of these books, the Jews learn that everything that they do, they must do in faith and obedience to God. They must depend on God every step of the way. So the title of this series, or the main idea, I guess, of the series is Depending on God. Now, Nehemiah takes that theme and builds on it a little bit. um, And he shows that believers must depend on God, especially when times get tough. So this morning, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 7 through 23. And this, uh, the title of this is Rebuilding in the Face of Opposition, Part 2. We had Part 1 last week. Um, and the main idea, again, this is the same main idea from last week. The main idea is that God is our strength in the face of opposition. Now, we have this, uh, this text broken down into kind of three sections. Um, and that's a reason to fight still working, and the only easy day was yesterday. I'm going to say this again. Those three sections are a reason to fight, still working, and the only easy day was yesterday. So let me review a little bit of what's been going on so far in the book of Nehemiah. If you want a a review of the whole series, you'll have to catch that on the podcast. This goes all the way back to the beginning of January when we started this series. So I'm not going to recap all of that, but just the book of Nehemiah so far. Uh, We we met uh, Nehemiah when he was a a cupbearer to the king. He's a Jewish cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. Um, And then uh, Nehemiah hears that the Jews who return to Jerusalem are in danger because the city, the the walls, and the gates are all still in ruins and burned to rubble. So Nehemiah prays to God and asks the king for permission to return to Jerusalem to oversee building, uh, rebuilding the walls. And the king answers yes. Now, when Nehemiah first gets to Jerusalem, He takes uh, kind of a secret survey of the city. He goes out in the middle of the night and travels around the city looking at the walls. And he sees that they truly are broken down, burned down, and their security is, well, non-existent. Uh, So Nehemiah encourages the Jews to start rebuilding the walls. Now, two weeks ago, we read a detailed account in chapter 3. There was a detailed account of the process that they took to rebuild the wall. Now, 
I said last week, I'm going to remind you, I think it's helpful for us to remember that chapters 3 and 4 are happening at the same time. They're simultaneous, or as Cumberland County Schools would like to say, they're synchronous. Uh, They're happening at the same time. It's something like uh, two different reports of the same events, but taking two different aspects, uh, focusing on different aspects of that same event. All right, now let's go ahead and get into our text this morning. So Nehemiah chapter 4, starting in verse 7. When Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashdodites heard that the repair to the walls of Jerusalem was progressing and that the gaps were being closed, they became furious. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. So we prayed to our God and stationed a guard because of them day and night. So it says that they became furious. There we go. It says they became furious. Uh, What we're seeing here is just a continuation of last week's message. When the Jews started rebuilding the walls, these two guys, Sanballat and Tobiah, discouraged the Jews through psychological warfare. They told the Jews that they weren't good enough, that the city was too far gone and the civilization was too far gone, and they've already tried before and failed, so just go ahead and give up. But honestly, this week and and last week, that's just a continuation of this whole series. Throughout this whole series, we've seen this same idea playing out. We first uh, saw this all the way back in January in Ezra chapter 3. The first thing the Jews did when they returned to Jerusalem, the first thing they rebuilt was the altar, and they started, um, they restarted the sacrificial worship there with the altar. And uh, in Nehemiah, Sorry, Ezra chapter 3, it says, they set up the altar on its foundation and offered burnt offerings for the morning and evening on it to the Lord even though they feared the surrounding peoples. So there we see right there that they were already facing opposition from their neighbors. Then later in that same chapter, they had to deal with this uh, form of this from their own people uh, after, they laid, after they laid the foundation of the temple. See, they, they laid the foundation of the temple, and then the, the older Jews who were there with them, who remembered how big and beautiful the original temple was, they looked at how small the foundation for the new temple was, and they wept loudly. Then Ezra 4 described uh, how all of the Jews' neighbors opposed their rebuilding of the temple. And these people were, they wrote several letters to the Persian kings trying to cast doubt on the Jews' permission to rebuild. Then we saw in Esther, um, the opposition was a little bit different, but only because it had less to do with the Jews' right to rebuild the city. It was focusing more on the Jews' right to live just there, just their right to live at all. We read how Haman tried to massacre all of the Jews, but God worked through Esther to save them. Now in Nehemiah, we return to a focus on rebuilding the city, and we get the same opposition, only now we see that they're getting close to finishing this rebuilding, and so their opposition is becoming, um, they have to step up their tactics. Sanballat and Tobiah have brought some friends, and basically these people, the groups that are listed here, um, are coming from all sides of Judah. So basically, the, the Jews are, fi- are facing opposition from all sides. They're surrounded by enemies. So we read, we continue reading in verse 10. It says, In Judah it was said, The strength of the laborer fails. Since there is so much rubble, we will never be able to rebuild the wall. So this says, In Judah. So this is talking about the region outside of Jerusalem. So Judah is the region that Jerusalem is in. You could think of Jerusalem kind of like the capital city of Judah. Now the format that this is written in suggests that this is a poetic lament. Uh, This is a form of writing that's basically um, mourning and airing your grievances in the form of a poem. This shows us two things. First, that the despair was so widespread and common that someone had formalized it into a poem. And secondly, that the Jews' resolve for completing the task and the wall, it was failing, or it was fading. 
All right, we'll keep reading, getting into verse 11. And our enemies said, they won't realize it until we're among them and can kill them and stop the work. When the Jews who lived nearby attacked, they said to us, or sorry, when the Jews who lived nearby arrived, they said to us time and again, everywhere you turn, they attack us. So verse 11 shows us that their enemies were planning to infiltrate the city to spy on them and to frustrate their plans. And then verse 12 shows us that even though the enemies had not yet gotten into the, the city of Jerusalem, they were in the countryside and attacking the, the, the travelers on the highways. They hadn't yet made it into the capital city, but they were doing a good job of defeating the villages. Now this sort of reminds me of the Disney movie Mulan. I'm not talking about the new one, but I haven't seen the new one yet, but the, uh, the animated movie that came out in 1998. See, in that movie, the Hun had invaded China, and they were on their way to the imperial city to defeat the emperor. But on the way throughout China, they were going through, and they were attacking villages and burning down villages, and they were defeating um, scouting parties. And they had even defeated the most powerful unit in the imperial army. Now, that's kind of like what's happening here with the Jews, what, what the Jews' enemies are doing. They're trying to make their way into Jerusalem to attack Jerusalem, and in the process of getting there, they're attacking individuals and groups and smaller villages. So let's see how Nehemiah responds. It says, So I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall at the vulnerable areas. I stationed them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons and daughters, your wives and homes. Now, verse 9 is very similar to verses 13 and 14. Only 13 and 14 give us a little more detail. This is probably because verse 9 had already happened, but Nehemiah needed to do a little bit more. He needed to take further action. Therefore, we see verses 13 and 14. Now, I could probably make a whole sermon out of just these two verses, or especially if you include uh, verse 9, so those three verses. And if we ever have a men's group here, that might be something that we do. Uh, But looking at them real quick, there are a couple of things I want us to notice. First, back in verse 9, we see prayer. There's a focus on prayer. We saw that Nehemiah was still seeking God's guidance. And then here in verse 13, we get to see a tactical strategy. See, he's posting fighters at the most vulnerable areas and areas where they would have the most motivation to fight, right there next to their homes and next to their families. Swords and spears were used for up-close battle, while bows were more of a distance weapon. So Nehemiah had a battle strategy, and he had all of his bases covered. But then he didn't rest on that strategy. See, he made an inspection. He inspected it to make sure that it was being implemented properly. And then he reminds them of their strength. Nehemiah reminded them that, God, that the God who fights for them is greater than the enemy who fights against them. That's the main idea of this sermon, that the God who fights for us is greater than the enemy who fights against us. It is God who is our source of strength in spiritual warfare. And then Nehemiah gives them a call to fight. See, now that everything was in place and he had reminded the Jews of God's glory, he called them to defend themselves and their loved ones. This was the Jews' reason to fight. They fought to ensure that they could continue to rebuild the city, which was their mission from God. They fought for their protection. They fought to protect their loved ones. And most importantly, they fought for God's glory. So for Christians nowadays, those still seem like good reasons to fight. Now, I'm not simply talking about physically fighting, but spiritual warfare. Though, I will say, as Christians, especially Christian men, we need to be ready to physically defend our our families, our loved ones, and other victims. But this story doesn't end there, right? This wall isn't done, so Nehemiah is not done, and his enemies aren't done either. So we keep reading, starting in verse 15. 
When our enemies heard that we knew their scheme and that God had frustrated it, every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers supported all the people of Judah uh, who were rebuilding the wall. The laborers who carried the, the loads worked with one hand and held a weapon with the other. Each of the builders had his sword strapped around his waist while he was building, and the other and, and sorry, and the one who sounded the ram's horn was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is enormous and spread out, and we are separated far from one another along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the ram's horn, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. This says that every one of us returned to his work on the wall. See, this is why God sent the Jews back to the city. It was their mission priority. Their main objective was to rebuild the city. If they, had, if they stopped working, uh, if they stopped rebuilding the city uh, just to defend themselves, um, then their enemies would still won because they stopped the construction. But the Jews kept building. They knew why they were there, and they got back to work. For us, we have to remember, spiritual warfare is real. But our purpose for existing, the whole reason that we are created, the purpose for our church is to worship and glorify God. We do that by making disciples. If the enemy gets us so caught up in playing spiritual defense, then he's still winning the war because we're not uh, fighting. We're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're not glorifying God and worshiping him. Right? Uh, I'm not saying that the enemy is winning the war. Jesus has already won the war when he was crucified, atoning for our sins, and when he was resurrected, proclaiming victory over death. The war is already won, and Jesus will stand victorious in the end uh, with those who have accepted him as their Savior. If you have not accepted Jesus as your Savior, then you are still on the losing side of this war, and you will still have to pay for the guilt of your sins through an eternity in hell. Accept him as your Savior and stand victorious with him in everlasting life. But even though the war is won, the devil still battles to keep people from joining Jesus in eternity. If we are so busy playing spiritual defense that we forget to make disciples, then the devil's strategy is working. So be like Nehemiah and the Jews. He says each of the builders had his sword strapped around his waist while he was building. They were ready to defend, but they kept building. We must be ready to defend. We have to be ready to fight the spiritual warfare But that is not our only focus. That's not even supposed to be our main focus. Our main focus is worshiping God. We worship him by being obedient to his will in our lives. And we see in the New Testament that Jesus called disciples to make disciples. Our purpose for being a disciple is worshiping God by making disciples. That's why our vision here at Victory is worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Nehemiah and the Jews also show us that this is not to be something that we do on our own. Look at verse 20. He says, wherever you hear the sound of the ram's horn, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. See, Nehemiah is saying that when someone needs help, they should call for help, and then the rest of the Jews will come and fight with them. Last week, I made the point that we are not to be fighting this spiritual warfare alone. Now, you might say, I'm not alone. I've got God with me. I've got God on my side. And while you may not be completely wrong, you're also not completely right. See, God has given us the local church so that we can support each other, we can minister to each other, and be on mission together, making disciples together. This is one of the primary ways that we are strengthened by God. Again, I say, if you are a Christian and not a member of a local church, then you are a soldier without a unit. You're fighting the spiritual warfare alone. 
God did not intend for this to be a task for just me and God or just you and God, but for Christians to come together in local churches and function as a family, fighting together. Now, let's see how this chapter finishes. Now, hopefully, as, sorry, let me take a step back. Hopefully, as churches, when I say fighting together as a family, we've, we've all seen how sometimes families will fight within each other. That's not what we want to do as a church. Unfortunately, we are sinful. Sometimes that happens. But through the gospel, we can reconcile those relationships, and, and we can uh, come together to fight against the enemy. Now we're going to see how this chapter finishes. Uh, he says, So we continued the work while half of the men were holding spears from daybreak until the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, Let everyone and his servants spend the night inside Jerusalem so that they can stand guard by night and work by day. And I, my brothers, my servants, and the men of, uh, and the, men of the guard with me never took off our clothes. Each carried his weapon, even when washing. Now, notice that. Even though the work was progressing, even though uh, their defenses, their defense was effective and they were building the wall, even with all of that, this was still hard work. They worked around the clock, either building or pulling security. They were always ready to fight, even in the bath. Now, this reminds me of something that happened last July. There was a news article that came out last July, though I still haven't been able to convince Hannah that I need a shower gun. Almost, but not yet. Um, Nehemiah and his guards were ready to fight at any moment if, the need, if the, the need were to arise. Now, at the beginning of the sermon, when I gave the section headers, I called this section, the only easy day was yesterday. Now, that's a phrase that's been adopted by the U.S. Navy SEALs. Uh, it's been said that the SEALs are the most difficult to join and the most elite fighting force on the planet, though I have to be careful saying things like that this close to Fort Bragg. <laughs> but the SEALs love the phrase, the only easy day was yesterday. Because they know how hard it was, or how hard, they, how hard it was to become a SEAL, and how hard that group has worked to become so elite. But all that work was easy compared to how hard it is to stay on top. Being the best makes you a target. So once you have become the best, you have to work even harder to continue to be the best. That's why they say the only easy day was yesterday. Now when it comes to spiritual warfare, the same thing can be said for us. When we are growing in maturity as a disciple, when we are growing in obedience to God, and we are, when we are growing closer to God, we will find ourselves more and more the target of attacks from the devil. So we could say, in spiritual warfare, the only easy day was yesterday, because the closer we get to God, the more of a target we become. So let's finish this sermon up with our application. All right? So our application always comes from Matthew 4.19, where Jesus says, uh, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And we get our definition of a disciple from that. And the three indicators are knowing, being, and doing. And that's that, uh, the knowing that um, the disciple has accepted Jesus and is, uh, sorry, the disciple has accepted salvation through Jesus and the lordship of Jesus. And that's where Jesus says, follow me. And then the being is where the disciple is constantly being transformed through Jesus. We are being remade through the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel. And then the doing is where the disciple is doing the work of Jesus. And that's where Jesus says, we will be fishing for men. So the no application from this text. Know that there are times to fight. When you are the victim of attacks of spiritual warfare, when your loved ones are victims, or when the church is being attacked, these are times to fight. Uh, when we hear false doctrines entering the church, it's time for us to fight. Now, for example, I hear... I, I say the term false doctrines, and, and a lot of times you think, okay, well, that's not really happening. But let me give you an example of something that I hear Christians talk about all the time. Karma. 
I hear Christians talking about, about karma like it's truth, or even wishing, if, uh, wishing that people were to get the karma that they deserve. Now, karma goes against the gospel. Karma is not simply teaching that uh, you get what you deserve or what comes around goes around. Karma teaches that if you live a bad life, then you will be reincarnated into a lower level in the next life. Now, I'm oversimplifying this a little bit, but it does teach that. Or if you live a good enough life, then you can be reincarnated into a better level next time. Eventually, after enough good lives, then you can be uh, ejected from this painful cycle of life and reunited with the great oneness that is the universe. Now, that's not the gospel. That actually goes completely against what the gospel teaches because the gospel teaches that we are sinful and we can't do anything to fix that. Because we can't do anything to fix that, we deserve eternal punishment in hell. But Jesus came to pay the penalty for that sin. Jesus came to take our punishment for us. And through Jesus, through his sacrifice and faith in his life, death, and resurrection, then we can be reconciled with our creator and spend eternity with him. Since we can't earn our righteousness, Jesus did it for us. That's the gospel. When Christians are martyred for their faith, it is time for us to fight. Now, I'm not saying that we as Christians need to seek vengeance for these martyrs. God will do that. So then how do we fight? In those cases, we must remember that other people are not the enemy. They are pawns being used by the devil to fight for him. We fight by spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ and supporting those who go to hard places to do so. I've given the example before that as Christians, we're kind of like Rambo, right? In First Blood Part 2, where Rambo goes into the enemy camp to rescue the POWs. And he goes in and he's, he stands up against a hard fight. And he goes in to rescue these POWs, right? As Christians, when we see others, when we see other people, and they're losing this battle of spiritual warfare, or they're being used as pawns by the devil, then they're not our enemies. These are the POWs that we have been called to go and share the gospel with them so that they can accept Jesus as their Savior and come over to this winning side of the war. Our B application is to be strengthened by God. See, Nehemiah reminded the Jews that their strength comes from God. But then he arranged for a way for them to call for backup. Call for backup. For modern-day Christians, yes, our strength comes from God. But a major way that he strengthens us is through membership in the local church. You can be strengthened by God by joining a local church body and being active in that church. Now, I gave this invitation last week, all right, and I'm giving it again. If you are interested in becoming a member of Victory Baptist Church, then let me, let me know, and we'll talk about what membership means to us and what those next steps will be. Um, and then the final application to do is to stand guard always. For Nehemiah, they even took their weapons with them to the bath. Now, God may not be telling you to get a shower gun, but spiritual warfare can come at any point and from unexpected sources. We stay on guard through constant prayer. We stay on guard through studying the Bible. We stay on guard by being active in our church family. We stay on guard by being, by being invested in the relationships with other Christians that we have. That's how we stay on guard. Always. Always stay on guard. So our application points again is to know that there are times to fight. Be strengthened by God and to stand guard always. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, again, we praise you for who you are. We praise you that you have uh, given us all of, of these blessings that you give to us. We praise you because you are a victor, that you have won this war. God, we thank you that you are inviting us to join you in that victory. God, we pray this, this morning that you will help us, Lord, to stand guard against false doctrines or stand guard against spiritual warfare in our lives. 
God, I pray that you will help us to be strengthened by you and through the church that you've given to us. And God, I pray that you will help us to stand ready to fight if the need arises. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit VictoryBaptistHopeMills.com or Facebook.com slash VBCHopeMills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.